carry on with our series in the Beatitudes, as I said at the beginning. And today's week four in our series, and so today we're looking at those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And today also marks reaching the halfway point of our series, as such, uh, being the fourth Beatitude. Um, and that today will wrap up as such the Beatitudes that are primarily focused on our relationship with God. And as we move into the fifth Beatitude, you'll start to see how these four that we've been looking at start to flow into five to eight and relate to how we relate and treat and speak and think and look and involve ourselves in the world around us. But as per the Ten Commandments, the first four are what? Us and God. And then the following ones are us and other people. Beatitudes, the first four, us and God. So before we start today, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the Beatitudes to get an insight into the character of your kingdom and the sort of people you expect and want us to become so that we can represent you faithfully, Lord. But we can't do it ourselves. We don't have that strength. We don't have that ability. And so we need your help with that. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who's undertaking that work in us. Give us your eyes and your ears today as we hear what you have to say to us in your word. And we thank you for that in your son's name. Amen. So a bit of a warning. Um, At various points through this series so far, if you've been following along, it's gotten quite brutal in what I've said about uh, the church and how the church has been and how that impacts us. And at various points there's been a few people come to me later and go, that was rather hard. <laughs> that, was pretty, that was pretty tough. And so I wanted to acknowledge that so far the series has been uh, brutal at points and give you a warning that today is going to be no different. <laughs> uh, today may get brutal again. And so there's the warning for that. But it's like anything else in life. If we're driving from Wingham and we want to we sit on the beach in Wollongong and we're... not sure why you'd want to go to Wollongong Beach. Actually, there's far nicer ones elsewhere. But you want to go to Wollongong Beach and you're driving along and you see a sign, 20 kilometres to Dubbo. What you need to do is stop. (laughs) You need to accept that you're now 20 k's from Dubbo and work out where you are and what the plan is to get back to where you want to be. And that takes a degree of honesty. And that's what we need to do as Christians because I can tell you that if as a collective church, and I mean this over 2,000 years of which we're here at Wingham are just a small part of, but we are definitely a part of. If you want to mark our road trip from driving from Wingham to Wollongong Beach, 
the church just went past Alice Springs. That's the reality. That's life. Now we can either deny it and keep driving and eventually we'll hit Broome, but we're not going to get to Wollongong Beach. Or we can stop, we can take a time out, grab a coffee. Not that you'd probably want to drink coffee at Alice Springs, but grab a coffee and remark out your route. Accept that there's been mistakes and work out how we're going to get back on track. And that's the choice we need to make. And that's why this Beatitude series is so important because it's showing us the characteristics of God's kingdom which we're meant to live out in our daily lives. As we discussed last week, one in three people in Australia today think Australia would be better off if the church was not here. One in three people in Australia say the church should not be here. Australia would be a better place for the church. I went back to listen to that, where I got those facts from. I said it was 10 years that, change, that it had changed from 2 in 10 to, to 3 in 10. I was wrong. It, it, it wasn't 10 years, I'm sorry. It was 6. It's gone from 2 in 10 to 3 in 10 in 6 years. That's how the church is viewed. We just went past Alice Springs. Anyone know what day it is? Mark's already smi- smiling. Do, do you know Mark? I'm not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sherlock Holmes Day. Anyone know that? You're a shocker. And the reason it's Sherlock Holmes Day today is because it's the birthday of the person who wrote Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It's his birthday today. And so they've decided that May 22nd is Sherlock Holmes Day. And Sherlock Holmes obviously being famous for working out all sorts of mysteries and solving all sorts of things. Well, we're going to start solving what it means to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness because as per all the other ones what we read doesn't give us the full picture on what Jesus was saying to his the people who heard him on the day we don't get the full picture in English we get some of the picture but we don't get the full picture we don't fully understand what he was saying now in Australia we don't really know what it's like to be hungry. If you're anything like me, and I'm sure you're not, I'll walk into the kitchen, I'll open the fridge door, because I don't have one of those $3,000 fancy new ones where you can just knock on the door. I've seen that ad on TV. You can knock on the door and the door becomes clear and you can look at what's in your fridge. I don't have one of them, so I open the door and stand there for 10 minutes. <laughs> And in the fridge I see all sorts of things. I see apples, I see mandarins, I see lettuce and salad and capsicum. 
I see leftover spaghetti bolognese. I see milk. What's that? Cadbury? Cake mix? No. No, no. That's right. Doesn't get to the fridge. <laughs> and I see all these wonderful things. And there might be some Freddo frogs in there. And I'll stand there for 10 minutes and I'll go, there's nothing here. So then I'll go to the pantry and I'll open the pantry door and that's just jam-packed full of all sorts of things that pantries usually are. And there's bread off on the bench already and wraps and all sorts of things like that. And I'll look and there's peanut butter and Vegemite and honey and jam and all the sauces, of which there's about 3,000 because you just never can tell which one you're going to need on any particular night. And then you keep working up our pantry and you get to the spices and the, like the evaporated milks and all those sorts of things. And then you go up to the top shelf where many can't reach and you've got the good stuff. The chips. And so you grab a pack of chips and you open it and you start eating it going, am I hungry? And you look at the back of the pack and it says 10 chips per serve. Well, I eat about 15 just trying to work out whether I'm hungry or not and can feel like any. And then I go, no, don't feel like chips. So I put them back up. I seal it first. Don't worry. Seal it. Put it back on the top shelf. No, I don't feel like that. There's nothing to eat here. There's nothing to eat. If only I'd gone down to Coles, Woolies shops earlier and gotten something that I, to eat. There's nothing here. So then you go to the tap, you go to your kitchen, or you might have cold water in your fridge, or you might have, you might not like cold water, so you go to the, the tap, you turn on the tap, oh, I forgot a glass. Okay, so you leave the tap running, get the glass, go back, fill the glass half up, take two mouthfuls, pour it out. Don't feel like water. We don't know what it's like to hunger and thirst. As much as we want to pretend we do, we have no idea. The people who Jesus was speaking to, they knew what it was like to be hungry. Often they would go day to day. They didn't work that day, they didn't eat that night. Water is not a massive commodity in the Middle East. Water is a very valuable thing. The people who Jesus was speaking to knew hunger and thirst. They knew it. We have no idea what it's like to hunger and thirst like they hungered and thirst. So what does Jesus mean by this? What's he really saying? Well, if you go into the Greek, and as I said, you'll learn all about this with Arthur in July. But when Jesus says... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's two parts we need to understand to that. The first one is that usually when someone says something, it's a partial object. In other words, what they're saying is, I want some bread. I want 
some water. Okay? What Jesus is saying here is he is using an unqualified object. What he is saying is, I want all the bread. I want all the water. I want full righteousness. Not partial righteousness, not temporary righteousness. I want full righteousness. I want all of it. I'm not going to be happy until I have it all. And the other part to Jesus' statement which we need to understand is that it's a continual thing. Like we spoke about this morning, love is patient, love is kind. They go on. There's at no point you get to in loving someone else where you can go, tick, okay, well, I've done, I've loved them now. I've been patient with them. No, no, you keep being patient with them. And in this, you keep hungering for all the righteousness. It's a continual thing. It goes on and on and on and on. And you're not happy with just half of righteousness. You want all of your life. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who want all of their lives to be continually righteous all the time, in every situation, for every sit- everything that's going on. That's what they want. They're the ones who are blessed because they're the ones who will be satisfied, who will receive their fill. So as, as has been our practice, now that we've worked out what it is that Jesus is saying, which we don't really get from that text, we read, bless are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, okay, yep. No, no, when you understand what Jesus is saying, it puts a completely different spin on it. And remember, he's talking to people who knew what it was like to hunger. They knew what he was saying. The next question is, how do we see this in Jesus? How do we see a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in Jesus? Because like with all the other characteristics that we've looked at so far and are going to look at, Jesus needs to model it perfectly if it's going to be a characteristic of the kingdom, which is the claim. So how do we see this in Jesus? Well, we read Mark 11, 15 to 18, the cleansing of the temple, when Jesus drove out all the, the animals and turned over the money tables and formed a whip. And There's all sorts of debates about this passage as to when it happened, how it happened, uh, the, the timing in his ministry of when it happened, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, will say it happened. They have it at the end of Jesus' life. John has it at the beginning. Some of the synoptics can't even agree with each other as to which day it happened. Some say it happened on the, on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem, while others say, no, no, it happened the next day. 
And all those questions can actually be answered, but we're not going to do it today. That's not the point of today's sermon. The point of today's sermon is looking at Jesus' attitude, his hunger and his thirst for righteousness. See, it was so encompassing that Jesus, meek and mild, Jesus, oh, everyone just, you just have to love everyone, forms a whip, starts cracking it, driving out the animals, turning over tables. When was the last time you went into, let's say, Woolies over at Tariq's, that slightly bigger shopping centre, and with a whip, <laughs> and start cracking it, and then turning over tables in stall. So you go into the shoe stall and you go whoop and throw that table everywhere. Then you go to the, the clothing bag stall that's there and you throw those tables everywhere. And then you go around to Baker's Delight. Okay, you keep walking past Baker's Delight because you know you're going to go back there later and have some. <laughs> because you hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? <laughs> Jesus has gone into the temple in the middle of Jerusalem, surrounded by the religious leaders, all the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They're all there because this is the big week. Passover's coming. Everyone's coming to Jerusalem this week. Everyone is watching. And what does Jesus do? He walks into the court of the Gentiles, which is where this marketplace was happening, and he starts flipping everything because he hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness. Why was he so angry? Well, this was happening in the court of the Gentiles. This was the only place in the temple that Gentiles could come to worship God. They were not allowed to go into the court of the women, which was inside the court of the Gentiles. They had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. That's where the, the Gentiles, anyone who's not a Jew, can go to worship God. What was the nation of Israel called to do? Be a light to the Gentiles. That was Israel's job. In the Old Testament, they were meant to be a light to the Gentiles as to how awesome God is bit like the church has been told to be the last 2,000 years. How did Israel go with that? I would actually argue Israel did a better job than what the church has done for the last 2,000 years. As Christians today, I, I've heard so many people take pretty much an anti-Jewish position on everything. Jews are evil. Jews are awful. Jews are this. Jews are that. It's plain wrong. But I'll tell you now that when you look at things, the Jews in the Old Testament did no worse a job than what the church has done the last 2,000 years. That's how bad we... We've done some good things as a church over 2,000 years. But we've had a number of brain explosions too. We've hungered and thirst for our own glorification, not for God's. 
So Jesus walks into the court of the Gentiles, the only place the Gentiles are allowed to go, and it's a marketplace, and so he starts flipping everything. Now the religious people of Jesus, but do they submit to him? Do they go, look, we got you wrong, sorry buddy. (laughs) No, we're going to kill you. We're going to plot your death. Kind of ironic, really, when you start looking at the Ten Commandments. That the religious leaders, the ones who are meant to uphold the religious law, are the very ones who are about to twist it so they can kill someone. They're hungering and thirsting for their own positions, their own prominence. Jesus is hungering and thirsting for God's. And our hunger and thirst to please God ought to drive us to live a certain way. And it flows straight out of what? Our thinking like God. Our submitting our thinking to God, which we looked at last week, the meek. See, if we don't have that hunger and thirst to see God glorified, to see God lived out, if our lives and our thinking are a me first thing, then James is pretty blunt about that in the book of James. James is blunt about a lot of things in the book of James. But if you go to chapter 2 verse 17, he says that if your life doesn't produce good works, your faith is... Dead. Dead. Not sleeping, not in a coma, not gone for a three-week holiday. It is dead. If your life is not producing good works, you're not earned. You don't earn your salvation by those good works. Never have, never can, never will. We are saved because Jesus died on the cross. But our lives should reflect a thankfulness to God for dying on that cross. And when we live out thankfulness, part of that is subjecting our will to God's will, being meek. Submission to God, that is meek. That is what we looked at last week. And as our thinking falls more into line with God's will, our hunger and thirst for righteousness will increase. It's a natural progression. So what do you see when you look around Wingham, the Manning Valley, New South Wales, Australia, the world, whatever, wherever you look, what do you see? You happy with what you see? Satisfied? Not my problem? Too big for me? Who am I? Or is there a sadness? Is there an anger? Because that's the way it is. Because you can imagine through the lens of God, there is actually a better way. When you look at Wingham, 
when you look at New South Wales, when you look at Australia, wherever you look, whatever level your focus is at, are you satisfied? Or are you sad? Because if you're satisfied, I would argue that you're not very hungry. That's just not a sweeping, generalised comment. Or that, no, that's aimed at every single person in this room today. Because you do matter. There are people that you come into contact with every single day who know you're a Christian, who know you believe the Bible, and they're watching you. And they're forming their opinion of Jesus on you. Now, one day, there will come a time, and it doesn't matter who's in power on a federal, state, local level, it doesn't matter. There will come a day when it's going to be a really bad time if you're a Christian. Okay? The media will be against you, the governments will be against you, it will be not very much fun. The media will start saying all sorts of things about Christians. And you know what? Many people will blindly believe it. My desire is to live and reflect Christ in such a way that when the media starts saying how bad and awful and evil Christians are, that the people who I know can go, I understand what they're saying, but I know Andrew... And I know Andrew is a Christian and that doesn't fit what Andrew is doing. How I live does matter because people know you. And in a small town, we of all people should understand what happens with relationships on a local individual level. Because in small towns, word of mouth matters. And if people know you and they see you acting with love and grace and mercy and these characteristics, then when the media starts saying how evil Christians are, they're going to go, well, hold a sec, I'm confused. Because I hear what you're saying, but I know Ken, I know Nev, I know Arthur. I know Rebecca, I know Robin, I know Bill, I know Les. I know that person and that's not what that person is. That's got to be our goal. We can't control what everything else is going on, but we can control us and how we live. And we do make a difference in people's lives, for good or for bad. And so as we come to the end of the first four Beatitudes, let's look at them, because they all flow. I know some people have been wrestling with this idea that they flow and they just haven't been able to grasp it. So let's go through it. We started a week one with what? Poor in spirit. What was poor in spirit? Spiritually bankrupt, spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt before God and a humbleness to approach God 
knowing that you are spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing that God owes you, not a red penny, not a nothing. You are spiritually bankrupt. And that humble approaching to God, knowing you're spiritually bankrupt, leads to week two. Mourning. But it's not just a sorrow. It is a genuine, total, utter regret that that is the position you are in. That you completely regret and are sorry and are desperate to fix that situation because you are spiritually bankrupt before God. And so what happens when you start to regret and start to realise how badly you've made a mistake? You try and fix it. So what do you do? You become meek. You then start to submit your desires, your instincts, your thinking into God's desires, thinking, instincts. You submit yourself to God. That is meek. Like we said last week, a wild horse. A wild horse first gets caught and the wild horse is thinking about one thing. The hills, because that's where it wants to be. But as it gets broken in, what does it do? Starts to think more like the person who owns it. That is what we need to start doing, and that is the response to total and utter regret of our spiritual bankruptcy. We submit ourselves to God. And what comes out of thinking like God? A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. As we start to see the world as God sees the world, as we start to experience the world as God wants us to experience the world, as his representatives, we have a hunger and a thirst for it to be what God wants it to be. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's how they all flow. There is a natural progression through them. And next week, when we jump into five... We'll look at five in a couple of weeks' time... But as we get there and we start focusing on mercy, which is the next one, you will see that that is more related to other how we start living that out to other people, but it's based very much in what we've done so far. There is still that flow and we will get there. Do you hunger and thirst? Are you truly desperate to see God's kingdom lived out? Because you can make a difference. The situation is not too big for you. Because you know people who are watching you. I'm not going to tell you who it is, because I'm not going to embarrass them. But there is someone in this town, most of you do know this person. When we first came to this town four years ago, where they work, I have to go semi-regularly to pick up stuff from where they work. Okay? Now, I'm new to the town. I go in, buy the stuff I want, say good day, be my usual charming, witty self, walk out, go home. After about six months, six months, Catherine went in one day just to grab some stuff for us. And 
a particular person said, you're Andrew's wife, aren't you? Catherine goes, yeah. Oh, okay, Andrew is the pastor of the church, the Baptist church, isn't he? Yeah. I thought so, I've been watching him for six months. I had no idea who it was. I do now. At the time, I had no idea, but someone knew who I was and they were watching me. How I was living, how I was speaking, how I was thinking was having an impact in their life without me even knowing. Imagine how much of an impact you can have on people who you do know who knows you're a Christian if you hunger and thirst. Let's pray. Father, you are the great God. You are the one who deserves to be glorified. You deserve to be praised and you deserve to be honoured by all of your creation. And at the moment, you're not. And I would love to be able to say thank you for how wonderful your church represents you. And we haven't. We haven't faithfully represented you as we should have. We have fallen short, way short. But there's always time to start again. There's always time to stop now and focus on you. Submit ourselves to your will and hunger and thirst for what you want. And so I ask you that you will do that for us this week. In your son's name. Amen. We're going to sing one last song.